0: Do need to give one final announcement that I forgot. Uh, the women's Bible study um, that meets at Frida's house will be uh, beginning Colossians, a study of Colossians, on March thirty uh, first. And uh, so, talk to uh, Vicky or, or Frida if you need some more info. They're doing a, a K. Arthur study, and uh, it just sounds awesome doing it, doing a study of Colossians. So, ladies, if you can um, be a part of that, that would be awesome. We are studying the greatest prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And it is a a guide, it's a pattern for us to know how to pray in order that our prayers might be transformed and our lives might be transformed. We come this week uh, to, to the phrase, your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I was thinking about this and, you know, uh, as I studied this, it kind of dawned on me at some point. You know, most of us, if, if you're anything like me, have very little understanding or experience with kings and kingdoms or anything like that. You know, uh, we, we might know uh, about kings and kingdoms from TV and movies, uh, maybe history books, uh, lessons that we learned, and uh, probably children's books if you have children or if you are a child. Um, you know, there, there's all these kings and princesses and knights and things. And, you know, but it's just we have such a, a crazy uh, understanding of kings and just a very limited understanding of kings and kingdoms. And so, if, if the purpose of the Lord's prayer is to, to help us to, to meditate on these truths and then respond back to God in prayer, it's very important that we understand what a kingdom is and what, what, what it's talking about with, with this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All through Scripture, I mean, really, beginning to end, there is this theme of kingdom. Most often in the Old Testament, especially at the very beginning, the word kingdom was never used, but all the aspects of kingdom were there. I mean, you think about in the garden, you have God who is ruler, and you have the subjects, Adam and Eve, and they have a command, and they're in a place, this garden, and so on and so forth. And um, as we'll see uh, a little further, a little later today... Revelation ends in a kingdom, with a king in a perfect place. So we need to understand this theme of kingdom if we're to understand the Bible and if we're to pray through the Lord's Prayer in an effective way. Now I will tell you that the, the topic, the idea of kingdom in the Bible, speaking of the kingdom of God, is very complex. Um, there's a lot of moving parts you might say a lot of times when the kingdom is spoken of it's spoken in parables or uh, very uh, imagery rich uh, prophecies and so it's hard to nail down a lot of particulars about the kingdom of God some of it's sort of cloudy and there's lots of disagreement and lots of different interpretations on the nature and timing of the kingdom of God and so Other sermons, hopefully we can dive into those things more. But what we're going to focus on today is those things that the Bible makes very clear, that Jesus makes very clear about God's kingdom. One of the aspects will be the timing of the kingdom. There are some who would say, okay, the the kingdom is is only future. There, There will be a future kingdom. Others would say, no, the kingdom is already here. But I believe the Bible makes it clear that there is a sense in which, yes, the kingdom is future, but the kingdom is already here. And so we just need to establish that. I know that's a complex thought. Uh, theologians often call it the already not yet. It's already here, but it's not yet here. Like, what? <laughs> in, in fullness, it's not yet here. And, and that, that principle is going to guide us a lot for today. Again, We need to understand kingdom, but we need to specifically understand the nature of the kingdom of God. I will read this uh, for you in context. Normally you read along with me, but our internet's down, so we don't have my PowerPoint slides because I email those. I don't bring a hard copy of it. So I'm just going to read this. If you want to try to speak it along with me, you're welcome to. Um, But I, I, I will read to you the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven... I said this last week, even though that was a prayer, I want us to go ahead and, and um, bow our heads in prayer to God even now. Father God, we, if we have trusted in Christ, are citizens, subjects of your kingdom. And Jesus tells us that we are to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God, we need your help. We want to understand the nature of the kingdom. We want to understand what it is Jesus is teaching us to pray. And God, we do not want only information. We also need transformation. God, show us the significance of these words. Show us why it matters for our life, God. I pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to focus on the kingdom, your kingdom come. But one thing that I want to point out to you that that was mentioned last week, and it's just a very important guiding principle for all of the Lord's prayer, is last week we looked at what I called the first and highest request of the Lord's prayer. So you have our Father who is in heaven, then you have a request, right? What is that request? Hallowed be your name. That is, we are praying, we're we're requesting that God's name, God's reputation would be revered, respected, and admired by us and by those around us. This is our request. Purpose for living, that God's glory might be shown, that God's glory might be loved and adored properly, fittingly, because He is glorious. Now, the fact that Jesus gave that as the first request of the Lord's Prayer, so we, we, we acknowledge who we're talking to, our Father in heaven, then hallowed be your name. Shows us that it's not only the first request, but it's also the highest request, meaning that it is to shape and guide all other requests that we might make of God. Whether it be forgive us our debts, whether it be give us our daily bread, you know, whatever it is that we're praying, it is to in some way accomplish the hallowing, the revering of God's name and reputation, both in our hearts and in the world around us. And it is no different for this one about God's kingdom. In some way, saying, praying, desiring your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is meant to accomplish God's name being hallowed. And I think it's so important we keep that that in mind, because it should just guide and shape all of our prayers, what we're praying for, our motives behind it, and what we're focused on but coming back to the the kingdom what we're going to mainly focus on today i I look at those first three words this by the way is matthew 6 10 i forget that i don't have slides up there matthew 6 10 jesus says where to pray your kingdom come your kingdom come As we said earlier, there's a sense in which God's kingdom has already arrived in the person of Jesus and is still here in the people Jesus has indwelt through his Holy Spirit. But there is definitely, absolutely in the Bible, a sense in which the kingdom has not yet come. And so that makes this a prayer for future kingdom consummation. By the way, if you have a bulletin... uh, That that would be uh, point number one, a prayer for future kingdom consummation. The fulfillment of the promised final kingdom of God. Now, you don't have to be the sharpest tool in the shed or the brightest bulb to look around at the world and see that it is seriously, desperately broken. Right? There is a problem in this world. Who turns on the news and said, Well, that was uplifting? (laughs) No. Who goes to the doctor and says, That was great. Maybe I can go again next week. And you probably will have to go again next week. Who never has strained relationships? The people you love become your enemies. Your enemies afflict you. We think about governments and organizations, just the corruption that is so rampant. I mean, just every aspect of the world. And by the way, we got, I don't even want to say it, but I was going to say Mother Nature. We got Mother Nature raging against us, which doesn't exist, by the way. God is 100% in control of nature. But we have the world raging against us. I mean, Every single year, millions of people die from hurricanes, earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, uh, wildfires, I mean, landslides, you name it. The earth seems as though it's rising up against us. And we groan under the weight of that, don't we? The Bible is not shy about these things. It's not naive about these things. It doesn't sweep the brokenness of the world under the rug. In fact, in in Romans 8, it says that all of creation groans along with us. It's broken. It doesn't fit the perfectness of the God who created it. And this is the world we live in every day. But, this is a prayer for future kingdom consummation. It is a prayer that God will fulfill what he has promised over and over in scripture and certainly will do. Because there is coming a day, there is, there is coming a day when God will make all things right. God will make all things right and we could simply term this the kingdom of God. This final kingdom of God will be where all wrongs are set right. Where all corruption is cleansed. This is what we are praying for. But what is so great about this is it is a kingdom. A kingdom. And a kingdom has has multiple elements, okay? If you think about, okay, what does it require to have a kingdom, Well, first you have to have a ruler, right? Someone in authority. Then you have to have people whom you are ruling. Then you have to have a realm in which you rule over. And that's why this idea of this coming final, beautiful, glorious kingdom is so great is because it covers all of those areas. The ruler, the people, the realm. And that's ...what we see with this kingdom consummation. We have been promised and we are longing for, praying for this kingdom to come. In your notes there, I have first that it's God's perfect rule. There will be God's perfect rule. Christ Jesus is king. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him... And that's already happened, Matthew 28 18. But there is coming a day where that rule and reign will be 100% manifest. Everyone will recognize his reign, all his people will recognize his reign. Now, again, as we compare this with the world we live in now, someone having all authority in heaven and earth is kind of terrifying. Because when we give someone a little bit of power, what do they do? <laughs> they go corrupt. They, they, they exploit people. They use their power for their own evil ends. Say, oh, people wouldn't do that. Yes, yes, they would. And they have and they do and they are over and over and over and over again. These are things that I thought was just like back in the barbarian days. No, this is right here, right now, all over the world and even in America. People get a little bit of power. And I don't know if it goes to their head. I mean, it was already there. The the evil was already there. The selfish tendencies were already there. But the the power just lets it flow out. I remember um, one of the first times I had this realization is I was uh, talking to my my friend Travis, uh, which he's preached here before. But he was a a missionary in Tanzania, which is uh, West Africa. And so it's on the border of the Dominican not Dominican, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I was like, oh, Congo, that sounds cool. Did you ever go there? Did you ever, you know, go there and visit and stuff? And he's like, no, dude, you don't you don't go visit the Congo. Like, what do you mean? He's like, dude, the, the Congo is full of militias and warlords who are constantly killing each other and fighting. And here's what happens, he told me. He says, you get this warlord who's oppressing the people. I mean, they, they go into villages, and they ransack it. They rob it and do lots of other very terrible things. And because of that warlord, they say, well, we need an u- uprising over this warlord. So they, they raise up another leader in this militia, and they fight, and they overtake that one. But guess what happens? What happens? This new warlord, the power goes to his head and he ends up doing the, and he said, it is just a, a brutal, brutal cycle. No, dude, you don't just go to the Congo and hang out. And that, that, that really, for me, was the first time that I, I realized, oh, that that type of thing still happens. And then I think about it and really even in our, you know, more civilized, westernized world, the very same thing happens. It's just more clean cut. We may not use rifles, but we use, you know, the rods of the law and exploit these things. And, and then we do the same thing with political parties. Oh, those leftists, they're doing crazy things. And then we go hardcore conservative, these crazy, I mean, it's just like, it's a continual cycle. And so, we hear that there is going to be this perfect rule of King Jesus. Should we fear that? Should we fear that this this ruler over all will exploit us, that he'll use us, that he'll abuse us, that he'll oppress us, that he'll take from us? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Remember, this this Lord's Prayer was given in, in the book of Matthew. And you can just think about reading through the Gospels. Jesus was so Frustrated and and hurt by all the injustice and poverty that he saw around him. The way the lower classes were treated by the governments. And even more angry uh, than, than he was about that, he was very angry at the religious elites who oppressed the people. Jesus said, you guys lay heavy burdens on the people and you don't even lift your pinky to help them. That's not what a leader does, Jesus says. Jesus said, said what? Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, this is, this is incredible. <laughs> you think about these rulers who just use, abuse, they lay these burdens on people. Jesus says, no, it's not going to be like that with me. There's a yoke. You understand the idea of a yoke? It's to keep two animals, two oxen, pulling together. And if there's a weaker one, the stronger one makes up for that. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. We're going to do this together. That burden is going to be light and easy. They will have rest for your souls. And so I would just say to you, this is the king. This is the ruler. This is the authority we have been waiting for perfect justice, perfect righteousness. This is the king who will wipe away every tear from our eyes, not make us cry under the strain of it all. This is the king who literally suffered and died so that we could be made citizens of his kingdom. I think we can trust him. I think we can trust him that he made the ultimate sacrifice, both physical and spiritual torment, for our sake this is the king who gives to us not takes from us right it's the thief Satan that steals kills and destroys but Jesus comes so that we can have life and have it abundantly this is our perfect ruler that we will have in this final kingdom fully manifest everything in subjection to him this is wonderful I should mention by the way if you want to go to a country and say, I'm going to go visit the king. My daughter, by the way, says that all the time. Can we go to England and visit the queen? Eh, probably not. Sorry. In this kingdom, every one of us will have full, unfettered, unhindered access to our king. Woo. This, this glorious king... We get to see him face to face. We get to be with him. We get to dwell with him. We get to know him. The Bible, by the way, Psalm 1611 says that in his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He is the source of the joy we are looking for. This is our king, a perfect rule. But this has kind of a potential problem if you think about it. Exodus uh, 33 20, God said to Moses, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Because of our sin, our unrighteousness, our unholiness, God's righteousness and holiness would literally consume us if we were to see his full presence. That very thing we just in, in that first point with the perfect rule. And if this king rules with perfect justice, then we're all in big trouble. Because I don't know about you, but I, I sin. I do unjust things. And so I would be under this, this king rightly condemned. This is a potential problem, but the second wonderful truth of this kingdom is is it will be a rule over a perfected people. Let's in your notes, a perfected people. We don't have to fear being consumed by the glory of God because we will not be in the same state we now are. We right now... Our, our, our sinners, we stumble into, it. you know, you've been saved and, and I, I've been saved. I, I get that and our hearts have been changed and the Spirit has indwelt us and, and sanctifi- sanctification has begun in our lives and we, know we, we put on righteousness. But, but man, later in this uh, prayer is, forgive us our debts. <laughs> we constantly need this forgiveness right now, but in the future, we will be fully, fully perfected. 1 John 3, 2 is kind of like the go-to verse for this. Beloved, we are God's children now. so we're, we're saved now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, Christ, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. I mean, this is the way I picture this. Jesus is so glorious, so holy, so awesome that, that his glory just shines and purifies us when we see him. In an instant, made perfect. This is amazing. But what if we then stumble and fall again, right? Adam and Eve, they, they were sinless when they were first created. Well, what if we stumble and fall again? I love the way Jesus uh, put this in uh, Matthew 13 verses 41 through 43. It's, it's beautiful. The Son of Man this is talking about the end, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun. In the kingdom of their father. Did you catch that? One of the things that will be thrown into the furnace is all causes of sin. That is temptation. Temptation will be thrown into the furnace, it can stay in hell. God's kingdom will not only have perfected people. It'll have people who will remain perfected forever because we will never again be tempted to idolatry or disobedience. We will never again be tempted to be our own God, which is exactly what happened in the garden. And then kind of the ripple effects will never be tempted to treat other people unlovingly or unkindly or selfishly. Never again. Heaven will be filled with With a perfected people, every tribe, nation, and tongue, praising our perfect ruler, King Jesus. I mean, I I think about this, and and I'm I'm so excited to no longer struggle with sin. That's part of our groaning, isn't it? It's not just our our physical aches, it's our spiritual aches. God has sinned against you again, or just almost the, the the sweat from our brow is we're trying to keep ourselves from doing a sin that our flesh wants to do, but we, we know in our heart is isn't right, this just constant struggle and the temptations of this world and Satan. Relief. You will have rest for your souls. I mean, we can just all sigh together. Ah, I will no longer struggle with sin one day. I'll be surrounded by a perfected, people who one another we encourage each other to greater and greater worship obedience and joy in god this is a perfected people but then we have the final aspect of any kingdom you have to have the realm and this is the third in your notes there a perfect place so it'll be a perfect rule over a perfected people in a perfect place Atheists often scoff at Christians saying, If God is so great, then why is this world so messed up, so broken? Why do, you know, why do these tsunamis and things happen? But what they miss is what's really going on here. That God did create the world very good, Genesis 1.31. But because mankind rebelled against God's kingly rule, the curse was put upon Creation. All of creation was put under the curse. And so what the atheist doesn't understand is that the dysfunction of this world actually points to the greatness of God. That sin will not be tolerated. There will be consequences. I know in the Sunday school this morning, I'm assuming, they looked at Romans 1. The the wrath of God is revealed among men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is what we now experience. This is a a taste of the wrath of God, but it points to the greatness of God. And so, yes, the world does rise up against us. Yes, trees rot. Yes, the the, the, the ground makes us sweat to make our food. That was all a part of the curse. But again, God is going to set it all right there will be a perfect dwelling for us just i'll give you a couple examples here of how the bible talks about this peter one of the best friends of jesus second peter 3 12 and 13 says the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but according to his promise we are waiting for new he- a new heavens and sorry new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells there, there will be a, a fiery purging of the curse from all of creation. A fiery purging. And then God will recreate everything. New heavens, new earth. In Revelation 21, this is, uh, verses 1 through 4, it kind of sums this up nicely. This is John's vision of the final kingdom. He describes it to us. And he says, He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is amazing. That's Revelation 21. By the way, you go to Revelation 22. I don't um, have it in uh, my notes, but it's a return to Eden. It's not only a return to Eden, which, by the way, the word Eden in Hebrew, most people understand the, the root of it to be paradise. The garden of paradise is what God had prepared for Adam and Eve, but they were cast out of that. But there is a return in Revelation 22 where there's the, this, the tree of life and all the different fruits and this river running through the road like glass. It's heaven. Or sorry, Eden on steroids. This is heaven and earth joined together. I mean, the dwelling place of God is with men. This is a perfect place. God's not going to dwell in an imperfect place. <clears throat> this is what we have. God's perfect ruler over a perfected people in a perfect place. And, and I'll tell you, for me, this is a Gigantic comfort and encouragement to me. When I when I'm struggling, I've got all sorts of issues, by the way, like with sin, with physical struggles, with just the world. You know, I've got all sorts of struggles, and I know you do too. But in those moments, we come to God and and we, we even pray this, your kingdom come, and we can remember in that moment, and I think God speaks to our heart: okay, you're having relational struggles but my kingdom is coming. You're having physical struggles. I get it. It's hard, but my kingdom is coming. You're struggling with sin. You're struggling with zeal for me. You're struggling to keep going. I get it. My kingdom is coming. And what that does is it comforts us. This hope comforts us and gives us the strength to go on to keep living for God and his kingdom and that's kind of where we're going with this next point because the Lord's Prayer goes on. It, you know, it started with, Your kingdom come, but then it goes on to say, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So rather than just talking about the future kingdom consummation, this final great kingdom, this is now pointing us to right here, right now. God's kingdom is in a form present, and our prayer is, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is, number two, if you're following along in the notes, a prayer for present kingdom conformity. There really is a kingdom right now. It is what you might call invisible. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's invisible. It indwells the hearts of believers, and Jesus rules and reigns from his throne, and heaven and so we need to conform to the principles the ethics and the purpose or not purpose the motivations of heaven your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that means because we have the hope of a future kingdom we live differently right here right now because we're a part of the kingdom and that's what we're praying God your kingdom come, your will be done right here, right now, on earth as it is in heaven. You say, well, how are, how are things done in heaven? I love the way Psalm 103 puts this. Psalm 103, verses 19 to 21, it says, "...the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word." obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. That's what it looks like in heaven. You have these angels, angelic beings, not to mention the redeemed who are there as well, but these angelic beings who are blessing the Lord. That is, they're praising the Lord and they are perfectly doing his will. And so now Jesus said we should be praying Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that this will mainly happen in two ways. And these are pretty intimately tied, so I'll give them both to you at the same time. I think this will happen right here, right now. First, by glad submission to the will of God glad submission to the will of God, and by global proclamation of the word of God. Again, these are are tied, but I'll talk about them a, a little bit separately. A king or a ruler who does not evoke submission, cause his subjects to submit, is a weakling. But... On the other hand, a king who only gets submission and obedience by by mere force, by fear, by intimidation, is a tyrant. But as we saw a moment ago, our God, our king, is no weakling, and he is no tyrant. He is great. He is glorious. He is the one who is leading us to life. He's the, the shepherd who leads us to green pastures. He is a good authority. And so we can have glad submission to his will. Say, well, what's the difference? I'm doing the right thing. I'm outwardly obeying what what God says. Does it really matter if I'm glad about it? Yes. Yes, it does. Because God not only wants our, our, our actions, he wants our hearts. We know the Pharisees, right? They, they obeyed the law perfectly. I mean, really, to a fault. They were scrupulous about obeying every little thing. I, I, I even tithe of my, my, my herb garden. <laughs> like, it's crazy uh, how they were. But here's the thing. They, number one, were trying to do those things as a burden to earn their righteousness before God. They were. The, the, Paul says... They, they haven't submitted to God's righteousness. They, they make their own righteousness. But then, think about some of the things that they do. It's even in Matthew 6, um, Matthew six sixteen. The Lord's Prayer is in Matthew 6, is why I say that. Matthew six sixteen. Jesus says to the Pharisees, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, the Pharisees, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. I mean, they made it a point to show what a burden it was to obey God. Look how holy I am. It's such, he's such a hard taskmaster, but I'm doing it anyways. And my point is, to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven is not to consider God's commands burdensome, but joyous. Are they difficult? Sure, but they're joyous. I mean, this goes all the way to, to the hardest of things. Jesus said in Matthew 5, just the chapter before, 5, 11, and 12, "'Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you "'and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. "'Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven.'" I mean, Jesus says, even when you're being persecuted because of your faith, because you're living out your faith and people malign you and mock you and you lose your job and they burn down your house, rejoice and be glad. I'm your king. I'm going to take care of you. I think about Paul just as an example. I mean, you have to laugh when you read Philippians chapter 1. He says, I'm in prison here but I rejoice because God is using my imprisonment, my obedience, my submission for the furtherance of the gospel. And in that, I rejoice. I mean, He's over there singing praise songs. He's not singing it as well with my soul. You know, he, he's like, you know, blessed be the name, you know, like he's just excited about it. And he's suffering because of his obedience to Christ and what he's called him to do. He says in the, ver- in the next chapter, Philippians 2, uh, 14 and 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The world doesn't need to see us under a heavy taskmaster. They have that, right? They, they, they have uh, the, the, the God of Islam, they have all these other gods. You've got to follow the rules and regulations and it's a burdensome and you got to make your way there. No, we follow a king who has made a way for us and now he leads us down a good path so we can submit to him gladly. And it is, I would just say, by our gladness in obeying him, by our gladness in suffering, we show the goodness of our God and our king. That is how... His kingdom comes on on earth as it is in heaven. But I would say it happens in another way because we we can have these ideas I'll just be obedient, I'll just be obedient and and live a holy way, and and the rest of the world can go to hell in a handbasket. Handbag, handbasket, anyway. That is not the kingdom ethic. Because if God's kingdom on earth right now dwells in the hearts of believers, if we want more of his kingdom to come, if we want more of his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we need more believers. We need more people who have been reconciled to the king. That is what we need. Therefore, it is incumbent upon us, it is what we must do to proclaim the word of God. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of Christ People cannot be reconciled to the king without the news of Jesus. Again, Jesus said in Matthew 28 18 to 20, and again, the word kingdom is not used here, but you have the elements. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a king, right? This is right before he ascends back up to heaven. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Of all nations. We could call that bring in more citizens. Then it goes on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, obey, all that I have commanded you. This is awesome. So we have a king who has all authority and what he's told us to do, what, what would be glad submission to his will is to go and proclaim the good news that, that our king has died for our sins and risen again and he's ruling and reigning on high and he is coming again and you can be a part of that kingdom. And then we teach them to observe, to obey all that he's commanded so that more people are gladly submitting to the will of God. Showing his greatness. Showing what a good king we serve. I think about these things and and we we really are, are asking for something uncomfortable for most of us. I mean, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I want to be the king of my own life. I want to dictate what I'm going to do I want to build my little kingdom, Jeff's kingdom come. My will be done. Right? I mean, that's where I'm at lots of times. I I struggle with these things. Truly. And so this is a prayer. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, help me not to live for my kingdom. Help me to live for your kingdom so that your name may be hallowed. With my neighbors, with the nations, God I want your name hallowed. God, help me to do your will, not my will. God, help me to do your will, not what culture says I should do. God, help me to live and die for your kingdom. Then, most of us, again, if we're honest and you're all honest people, we're uncomfortable sharing the gospel we don't we don't want to rock the boat by bringing Jesus into it right work things are going well my neighbor is like we have nice little interactions i don't want to mess that up the moms at the the little play group i, I just don't want to mess it. we have great conversations i, I don't want to mess it up by bringing Jesus into it again we're protecting our kingdom aren't we We're we're hoping people will hallow our name. I want them to think well of me instead of hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Remember, our king said, go make disciples. Paul talks about it as being ambassadors. Right? 2 Corinthians 5. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a citizen of another kingdom in a foreign country, and they represent their king. They represent their government, and they carry their message. What is the message we carry? He has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. This is what we do. We implore people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. This is is what we do. We're, We're ambassadors. I wonder how many of us would get fired If we were really ambassadors. Because we don't represent our king and we don't carry his message. I don't say that to to be down on us. I say that to to encourage us to to live out our purpose on this earth. And that purpose is to glorify the name of God. We do that by glad submission and global proclamation. I mention global, by the way, because... We really should reach our neighbors. We really should reach the supermarket people. We really should reach our, our families. And, but we can't forget everyone on earth. I mean, there there's tribes, tongues, nations. And so th- the, even this is uncomfortable. I like the money in my bank account. <laughs> I like living in, you know, the Ringgold, Chattanooga area. But God calls us to give. So that people can be reached with the gospel in the hardest to reach places. And sometimes God calls us to go. This is a prayer to say, God, let me not love my earthly treasure so much that I won't give to see your kingdom come. This is saying, God, let me not love my earthly comfort so much that I wouldn't be willing to go if you called. I I, I don't want to make light of this. This is a hard prayer. It goes against our fleshly will. It goes against our fleshly desires. It goes against what we're comfortable with. It pushes us out of our comfort zone. And this is the beauty of the Lord's prayer. It makes us meditate on and pray things to God we otherwise probably wouldn't think about. And it even has us pray things we're a little scared to pray. But I would just encourage you, we serve a good king. And his kingdom is coming. Whatever you suffer in this world, you have the kingdom coming. You have perfection. Perfect ruler, Christ Jesus, perfect, perfected people, and a perfect place. Your kingdom come, your will be done is both a prayer that gives hope, and it's a prayer of challenge. God, remind me where I'm a citizen of and what's going to happen, but don't let me live like a mere earthling now. (laughs) Let me live as those who worship you and obey you in heaven. Let's pray together. Father God, who are we that we would be made citizens of your kingdom? Who are we that you would make such great promises to us God, we are not worthy of the honor and the blessing you pour out on us every day and the honor and blessing you will pour out on us in full for eternity. And so, God, we do want your name to be hallowed. We want people to love you more than their sin. We want people to love you more than their possessions, more than pleasures, more than entertainment. We want people to love you, honor you, respect you, obey you. So God, help us to live as kingdom people who have our hope set on heaven, not the circumstances of this earth, and who live for heaven, not by the rules or ethics of this earth. God, give us the courage to begin praying this prayer. Give us the courage to ask that we do your will instead of fulfilling all our desires. Give us the courage to ask that you will open our mouths up and make uncomfortable situations happen so that your saving word can be proclaimed. And help us, God, to remember the nations. Those who will perish in their sin if they do not hear and receive the gospel. God, let us pursue our purpose as ambassadors, as citizens of your kingdom. God, you are worthy of all the glory, all the honor, all the praise we could ever give you. Help us to do these things. In the name of our King Jesus, amen.